we're going to begin at verse 12. I may read a little bit more uh, uh, later in the in the sermon. For now, we'll we'll start at verse we'll start at verse 12, and we're going to read through to chapter 4 and verse 1. This is one of those interesting places where the the chapter division and the thought division don't match up. That's something you'll notice. The chapters and the verses they came much much later when the when the Bible was being printed, it just made things a whole lot easier to break things up into chapters and verses. They're not original to the text. And sometimes the, the chapters and the verses, they don't line up with the flow of the thought. So here we've got chapter 4 verse 1 is actually an ending to the thought that we're addressing in this section here, uh, chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, which is a continuation of what we looked at last week. Those verses, the old tithes, one thought. In fact, the whole of Philippians is one thought. And we've been working, as many of you know, we've been working through this throughout the summer. And I'm going to continue to encourage you, if you have not done so yet, read through Paul's letter to the Philippians. If someone do that just a few days ago and they came up to me and said i so love paul i so love paul as he presents himself here in philippians and philippians is one of his most beautiful one of his most intimate letters that he writes to the church and we're going to think a little bit about what that how that intimacy expresses itself in our in our scripture today Philippians chapter 3 and beginning at verse 12. You know what, I'm going to jump back because this doesn't make any sense without reading back. So let's go to, let's go to verse 8 of chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Okay, we should really take another step back, but we're not going to. <laughs> what Paul's talking about, what's he counting as loss? He's counting as loss all these things that he considered to be gain. We read this last week. All the things that he considered to be gain. His position, his standing, his, um, his, uh, the, the, the way that he strove to live according to the law, the way that he persecuted the church. All of those things he considered to be gain. They, he considered them to be in his favor. He considered them to be the things that made him right with God only to discover that they didn't make him right with God at all. And he says, I consider these to be loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word literally means excrement in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to be like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. I want to know him and I want to become like him. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've obtained this 
or are already perfect, he goes on, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider that I've made it on my I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you uh, the example you have in us for many of you i have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of christ their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in the shame in their shame with minds set on earthly things but but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself therefore my brothers and sisters whom i love whom i long for my joy and my crown Stand firm thus, in this way, my beloved, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the challenges with, with preaching, and I think it's a different challenge from what many of you would, would anticipate, but one of the challenges that there is in preaching is not to ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with this? How am I going to get something out of this passage? Where am I going to begin? But the question that I always ask myself when I've got a passage like this is, is not where am I going to begin, but where am I going to end? What of all of this that Paul lays out in this passage. What is the message for us today? What can I tease out of all of this? What is the one or two things that are essential for us to hear from this passage today that is so full and is so laden with this grace that Paul possesses, this gift that he has, this desire that he has to know Jesus Christ and to make Christ known. Now, where do I start or where do I end? And how do I stop before 11? <laughs> I will. It's okay. There are three things I want to highlight in this passage, and I might not highlight all of them, but I'm, I'm going to attempt to highlight three of them. I'm going to tell you what they are and uh, you can look for these things in a little bit more detail if I don't get beyond the first one, okay? <laughs> but the three things I want to highlight in this passage are, are, are as follows. The first thing 
is to highlight Paul's relationship. Okay? This, this passage, in fact, this whole letter uh, is all about Paul's relationship with the Philippians and uh, in, 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 in a sense, not just with the Philippians, but with all those I, 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 over whom he is, is a pastor, uh, is an apostle, and in many ways, the relationship, the extended relationship, I think, that Paul has with us. Okay, so that's the first thing we're going to think about, is Paul's relationship, and how that plays into our relationships with, with one another, that's number one. The second thing I, I, I want us to think about is, is a word that we may not hear all that often nowadays, but it's a word that's absolutely essential to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and it is clearly enumerated in this passage. It's something that is, that is there. It may not be spelled out as the word itself, but it's the idea and the word repentance. Repentance. We're going to think about what repentance is. So relationships, repentance, and then the last word, and I'm, I'm stretching this, it's, it's in the passage, but I couldn't, I couldn't really think of another R word that would go along with this. But the third word we're going to think about, if we get here, is replication. Right? Relationships, repentance, and replication. Okay? So let's start with this, uh, this idea of, of, of Paul's relationship. Now, if any of you have ever read through any of Paul's letters, including the book of Philippians, you will find that Paul's relationship with the people to whom he is writing changes. Different churches he relates to in different ways. But at the heart of all of the ways that he relates to the people in the different churches, at the heart of that is the idea of um, there's almost a parental type of relationship that Paul has with all of those who are under his care, who are in his charge. We find places where, where Paul is almost like a mother when, when he's writing to them. I mean, here in this passage, one of the things that we see when Paul was cautioning the people, uh, we, 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 see this, we see this in verse 18, when Paul was cautioning the, the people uh, in, in Philippi against the false teachers, one of the things he said was, um, I have I've spoken to you even with tears in my eyes. I know I've broken my mother's heart <laughs> all too often, and I know that many of us, our mothers have spent hours and evenings and nights in tears as they pray. And some of you, I see some smiling. I know that you have spent nights in tears over your children because you love them and you want them to be who you know they can be in all their fullness. And you see the mistakes that your children make time and time again and you weep and you pray and you hope and you trust. Paul is, in a sense, in this passage and elsewhere, like a mother in tears over those whom he considers to be his children. We see elsewhere where um, Paul 
It's not so much a parenting role, but it's a household role in the ancient world. He is, he is the teacher, very, very clearly the teacher, time and time again, teaching them what's important, not just teaching them morals and, and morality and teaching them about behavior, but, but teaching them the truth about Jesus Christ and what it means to, 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 to know Christ and what it means to embrace who Jesus is and to live in the fullness of Christ and to, to become like him so there are places where he is 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 a teacher there's a beautiful passage in uh, in first thessalonians where paul writes uh, uh, as 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 one who is who is a nurse uh, uh, like a wet nurse feeding those that he loves speaks in that type of language but I think there's very much a sense, and we've already got a clear hint of this in an earlier passage where Paul has spoken of Timothy. There's a clear sense in this passage where Paul is very clearly their father. He's their father. And um, in this passage and in the passage that we read last week, I, it's, it's, it's almost like, and, I, and I'm I'm not quite there yet. I've got a couple of years before this this happens to me with my with my eldest child. Um, but there are there are points in our children's lives, uh, and even with younger children, there are points where we need to sit our children down, and we need not just to caution them about uh, uh, wrong behaviours and unhelpful behaviours and unhealthy behaviours. We don't only need to caution them about uh, the wrong type of, of people, the friends that we see them wanting to choose, but cautioning them against them. That's clearly what Paul is doing here. He did that very clearly in the passage last week. Remember in verse 2 of chapter 3, look out for those dogs. And he doesn't mean dogs as in a little Shih Tzu or a Chihuahua that you sit and pet on your lap. It's a mangy cur that he's talking about in the ancient world, in this culture. Dogs were not animals that were uh, kept in the household as we necessarily keep them today. The dogs that Paul's talking about were, were rangy, mangy mutts that would be running about wild and would be feeding themselves of all sorts of things, very dangerous animals look out for the dogs look out for the evil doers workers of evil look out for those who mutilate the flesh and he goes on in this uh, passage that we that we read today for for many are, are enemies of the cross of christ watch out for them their end is their destruction that's what's in store for them their God is their belly. They are driven purely by their hungers. They're driven by their passions. That's what drives them. And they glory in their shame. Stay away from them. That's the caution that Paul gives. But, but more than just saying don't do this, Paul so very, very clearly as their father lays something else out as well instead of just saying don't go here don't go there don't do this he's a wise father 
And he says, follow this way instead. Let me read what it says. As Paul is encouraging them. I want to gain Christ. And that's my goal for you as well, says Paul. I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you to know the power of the resurrection and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that comes through faith in Christ. That's Paul's desire for himself, and that's his hope, that's his prayer, that's his desire for his children too. Now one of the challenges that there is, I think for me and for, for those who are in leadership, I think about the elders in this church and in every church, one of the challenges uh, that there is in, in, in this passage is when Paul is, is laying out very clearly here that there are certain people not to listen to, there are certain people not to follow, there are certain things that are false, there are certain things that are not true that you must avoid. One of the challenges that comes to us as leaders in, in the church, and I think it comes to all of us as well, is so often we are so interested in learning all about the other. We're so interested in learning how other people think and studying those who are outside of the context of the Christian faith we spend. And, and, and this may not be the case for you, but I've seen this again and again. We want to know what other people believe and why they believe what it is that they believe before we actually know what it is that we believe ourselves. And before we understand why we believe what we believe as Christians ourselves, we so often put the cart before the horse and it leads us down the wrong track. Because we've not studied, we've not meditated, we've not focused on the truth of Scripture, on the truth of the Gospel. We've not allowed that to permeate us and know who Jesus is in all his fullness. And so we go off after other things. And Paul, as a wise father, says, get that right first. Or oh, then understand others, dear ones. Then you can certainly understand them. But then, knowing who you are in Christ and knowing the truth, then you can recognize the falsehood in that. You can't know a lie is a lie unless you know what the truth is. You can't know a lie is a lie unless you know what the truth is. So you have to know the truth. And it's my job and it's my responsibility and it's my calling and it's the calling of all who are elders in this congregation and in the church to know the truth and to help us all to learn the truth so that we can recognize falsehood when we face it. That's the first thing. Paul is the father. That's his relationship with the people and that's the challenge that there is for all of us in this 
passage. The second thing that I want, I want to, to point out is this idea that Paul talks about, and he doesn't use the word, but the word, uh, the idea is clearly in this passage, this idea of repentance. Repentance. Let me show you where this is, first of all, in, in this particular passage. Um, Paul uses this concept, first of all, first of all, very subtly in the use of, of language, okay, in the use of language. Um, in the English, it's not very clear at all, but in the Greek, it's very, very clear. Back earlier in, in chapter 3, in verse 6, when he's outlining all of these things that he considered to be a gain for him, to be his righteousness, in, in verse 6 of chapter 3, he talks about his zeal, and he said his zeal was manifest in his persecution of the church. Now that word persecution means to pursue, it means to press after. Interesting that we find exactly the same word used twice. Let's read again, beginning at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm perfect, but I press on to make it my own. It's the same word. His zeal was focused in one direction. His zeal was focused in persecuting the church. Now he is doing the same thing. He's pursuing something with that same zeal. This desire to know Christ, to know the resurrection, to know the power of the resurrection. He's pursuing that with the same zeal. And he goes on. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining towards what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He presses on. It's the same word. So he has been going in one direction. And he's been doing one particular thing, and it's been something that's been very destructive both to himself and it's been very destructive to the church. And Paul had a moment where he was confronted with the, the risen and glorified Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 9, I believe, is Paul's conversion experience. And from that point on, his life was utterly transformed. The word repentance is a very specific word. It means to have been going in a particular direction and to do a 180 and go in exactly the opposite direction. To move from traveling here to traveling there. It's not a religious word, it's just a word. But in the context of our faith, it means to go from following all these things that Paul has laid out, whatever it is that drives us as these people were driven, these enemies of the cross were driven by their bellies, by their, by their passions, going from being driven by certain things. And all of us have things that, that drive us. All of us do. 
And all of us have things that drive us away from Christ. Even as Christians, we have things that continually are driving us away from Christ. The Bible calls these things sin. Whatever is in the place of Christ is sin. An interesting little thing. I think it's interesting anyway. The word sin is spelled S-I-N. I is in the center of that word. Sin is about me. It's about pleasing myself. It's about satisfying my own desires. It's living according to my own drives and my own passions. Now, repentance is not the same as confession. I can confess my sins without repenting. I can admit my fault without being transformed in who I am. I can say I am this way and have no willingness to do anything about it. Now, knowing who we are is a significant part of the battle, isn't it? But in repentance, it's not just confession. <coughs> confession is good for the soul, they say, and surely it is. But it's repentance is utterly, utterly transformative. Because we move from one direction to going in a completely different direction. And for the Christian, that direction is going from self to following Christ, going towards the cross, keeping the cross before us at all times. Oh, that I might know Christ, says Paul, and the power of the resurrection, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes through faith in him. That's repentance. Paul's relationship with his friends, his children, if you will, in Philippi was a relationship that in his heart was to lead them, not just to confession, but to lead them to repentance and utter transformation. And how did Paul seek to, to achieve that? And this, I think, is the boldest thing. And it's terrifying <laughs> through replication. I don't know if you were paying attention as I read this. But in verse 17 of chapter 3 it says this, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. How many of you would be willing to say to a younger Christian, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to become more like Jesus, do what I'm doing. Oh my goodness. How many of you would be willing to say that? Oh, I know the brokenness. I know the sin in my own life. I know the patterns that I have in my own life. And all of us have those they may be different, they will be different for all of us, but we have patterns of behavior where we feel our own brokenness in such a real way. Paul was far from perfect. He said that in this very passage. I've not attained all of this yet. I'm not perfect yet. 
but I'm pressing on towards that goal. And it's the pressing on, it's the pursuing Jesus, even whilst at the same time being aware of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness. That's what he's calling people to look at in him. I'm not who I am supposed to be yet. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, I am becoming that. Walk alongside me in that, says Paul. Walk alongside me. Look at the way that I'm doing things. Oh, you'll see me fail, but you'll see the Lord Jesus pick me back up again. It's not about being perfect. It's about trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, that's the challenge that comes before all of us, all of you. What are you focused on? What are you driving towards? Where is your heart? Where is your passion? And if you have a young Christian that says, any one of us gathered here, Someone coming into this congregation could sit down with any one of us and say, tell me about Jesus. Show me how to know him more. Would we be able to answer that? Would we be able to tell people what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That's what this passage is calling us to. To find those and to look to those who can draw us deeper into Christ. And for us to be, and for us to become people that others look to. That they might see Christ in us. May our prayer, all of us be this, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death. That's part of the repentance. Dying to self. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I may die to self. And that I may be made alive in Jesus Christ. As that was true for Paul, may that be the truth every single one of us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen The hymn is 8 to 1